This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Today we're excited to continue on with Bible 101, and I'm not going to steal any thunder. I'm going to let you introduce us. There we go. Good morning. Hopefully everyone's doing well. If you're excited to be here, like, show me something. Like, ah. That's good. That's good. Cool. Well, we're stepping into week three of our series, and how many people have been here for one of the first two weeks so far? How many people have enjoyed it? Our hope is that thus far you've been challenged and that you've gleaned insight. Yesterday I was watching um, a documentary thing, and it was funny because it's kind of against the church, but they were bringing up something in that documentary about how the Word of God is true and how, like, that's how what guides us. And then, like, the documentary swapped to the—I don't even know who this dude is, but he started, like, dissing basically on the Bible— and what we believe and why we believe it. And it was just, it was so eye-opening again, once again, to know why you believe what you believe about the Bible. Because I think there's a certain level of faith, but there's a lot of logic and proof behind this. And I think you have to walk that balance of like letting it impact your life and knowing for yourself. Because like that guy was convincing. I heard him like, no, like if I didn't know what I know, like it'd be hard to not be like, I believe in this. So I just hope you continue to come week after week and feel challenged. If you miss one of these messages, do not like, like go back and listen to it. Um, It was they were both hard to preach as we try to fit a lot of content into 45 minutes, but they're both so good. So if you haven't been, been with us, we've been in this series called Bible 101. And basically, um, as we looked at the year and thought, what do we want to teach our community for this year? One of the things that came up was talking about the Bible. And uh, this is a big passion in both of our lives. Um, if you've been here, you might have heard, but PK teaches biblical interpretation at Northwest University in Oregon. So it's definitely um, a thing on his heart as he's teaching future pastors and ministers like what the Bible is and how to use it. And so um, long story short, we, we, we felt this passion that RLC would not just be a group of people that hear about the Bible on Sunday, but that we'd be a group of people that know how to use and use the Bible Monday through Saturday. And so that's been a heartbeat. And I don't know what your journey is with it, but I hope that you've been challenged thus far. Um, we really felt like the, the passion inside of us to go, we're not going to just teach you more from the Bible, but we're going to try to teach and inspire to use the Bible for yourself. And so again, that's been our goal. And so today's going to look a little different, but week one, if you weren't here, we talked about hermeneutics, um, which is basically a framework and how you read the Bible. Again, great, great opportunity to go um, learn. Um, Second week, we talked about how the Bible, we know it's true. And one of the best parts about this was, again, just because I watched that, that documentary, was that PK proved it by logic, that it is true. And in a secularized Western society where everything is based on fact and reason, even if the media is not truthful all the time, we still believe them, right? But uh, we live in this culture that's like that, and the Bible is reliable. So with all that being said, today we're going to do something a little different. As you can see, we're both up here. We're going to team teach, and we recognize that we've hit you with a fire hose of information. So we were like, let's have a chill conversation today instead. So um, today's going to be fun. We have eight questions. We had 10, and on Friday we're like, there's no way. We're both talkers. There's no cotton picking way we're going to get through these. Um, I had a timer and it was, yeah, I still have a timer right here, but uh, we're going to figure out how to go through this, but we really want this to be a conversation. And so it's going to be question and response because we're we're coming from the forefront to go that we don't have all the answers. And some of these, like we're going to go through some like practical questions on the forefront and then we're going to go into more personal questions about how we use the Bible. And again, the whole point of this is to give you tools and inspire you. Um, Originally when we wrote this, 
I'm already talking a lot. Um, originally, when we were talking about doing this, um, there was a, um, a Bible that PK has that I remember him using a lot in my childhood. And what that Bible represented to me was the fact that I saw someone using their Bible, which then inspired me to use it. And so our heartbeat today is, again, to throw some information out there. Some of these are questions you, you may have already. Some may just spark your interest. But our goal, again, is that you would engage with the Bible personally. And so um, that's what we hope today. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, I just thank you for this opportunity we have. God, I pray that you'd be glorified today, God, as we go through these. God, and I pray that you just challenge each one of us, God, to know know what the Bible is, know why we believe what the Bible is, know why we read it, God. And I pray that today's conversation, God, would just be beneficial. God, steer us in our answers, God. If you have something you want us to share extra that's not planned, God, I pray that we would do it. And we just lift you up and we thank you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. amen. Okay, so I'm going to ask PK the questions and I'm going to follow up. So first question today is what translation should a person use? What translation? What translation? I think before I even do that, before I answer this, I want to just give the disclaimer to go, uh, we're trying to bring, we want to give you information. We believe that information gives power. And so we want to empower you with information. Some of it's going to be factual. Some of it's going to be opinions. And doesn't everybody have an opinion? And we want you to settle on your own opinion. So what translation should I use? Uh, as, we, as I talked last week really quickly, there was, there's over 900 900 English translations. 900 English translations. So when you step back and go, which out of these 900 do I use? Which one should I do? And, and I bring a chart that I want to show you today. Um, if you want to write up there, you're going to see the formal and the functional. And on this chart, there's uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 different translations. Some of them are going to, you're going to, you're going to recognize them. And we have a formal translation and a functional translation. And I, the, the idea of the formal is going to be more so of a word-for-word -word translation. And functional is going to be more of a conceptual translation. Um, as we as humans have morphed in understanding languages, uh, studies of linguistics, we realize that uh, if you know a foreign language, you don't translate when you're talking to someone word for word in a foreign language because you're going to lose a meaning. Am I correct? If you understand it. Uh, but if you, you can't completely go all loosey-goosey and conceptual either because you're going to still lose it. And so that's why we can see here, we talk about the formal, uh, KGV uh, and, and so on is New American Standard. As you see the top list up there, those are all going to be more formal word-for-word -word translations. Not wrong, not right, but then you can come all the way to the functional side and go to the message and go, uh, it's going to just be conceptual. Not wrong, but it's not necessarily all right either. And so that's why uh, I, I show this today, we bring this today, just because uh, we want you to understand that probably the safest area is going to be the middle of the chart. The safest area because you're going to get conceptual as well as you're going to get right translation. You're going to get the understanding of that. Uh, I will say this, that every translation has a witch hunt after it. Uh, if, you have, if you've been around long, you're going to know that King James Version has a witch hunt after it, and there's, there's statistics that have about it. If you're an NIV person in, in the 2000s, there was a witch hunt after the NIV because they came out with the, the TNIV, the new NIV, which actually tried to change the genders of God. And uh, that did not last very long. That got kicked out, and NIV made an apology for all that. Uh, we can come back and go, well, I love Eugene Peterson, and I love the message. But for us to understand the message, all the way conceptual on this side, it's, it's, it's functional. But I want you to realize it's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. And so you have to understand the difference between a translation and a paraphrase, because a paraphrase is going to be one man's words of paraphrasing what was there, 
And another one's going to be a translation, a translation comparing the Greek and the Hebrew and all that stuff. Um, there is a great controversy. It's still a controversy in the church world today about the King James Version. And I just want to bring out a highlight, not to knock it, but to give you a, just an insight in it. Uh, every, the King James Version that we have today is based on the 1611 King James Version. So the translation, what we have. So 1611, it was based upon the Masoretic text, which is good, which is right, the Jewish text. But the New Testament was based upon Vulgate Latin, not Greek. And there's a difference between the Latin and the Greek, and that's why it's so important for you to step back to understand what you're reading, not to go, let's shun the King James Version, but to be aware of what you're reading. That's why we're trying to bring the functionality of this today. Uh, so there is a huge movement of King James only. Uh, there is those that are anti-King James, but because King James is such a, a primary spot, I wanted to just kind of highlight that today, just so that you're aware of it. Um, there's a difference between, uh, again, Latin and Greek. And we know that the New Testament was written in Greek. So therefore, if we're, if we're translating the New King James, which we have today, the current King James Version, from Latin Vulgate from 1611, they're using that translation still in their current translations. How many know that we've learned a lot since 1611? And that's why it is this importance of understanding, not knocking any of them, but educating on all of them. Um, real quickly here, go to the next slide, and then I'm going to let him talk, because I'm talk this is a longer answer here. Uh, choosing a translation. Go ahead. Yes? Locked up. Um, I don't have that all memorized, but basically I'm going to say this. You, use a translation that, that you understand. Find a translation that you understand, that you like to read. Find one that's going to be middle ground. I will say this, don't settle on one. Find one that you can read, but don't settle on one. Read from multiples to see the differences. Uh, real quickly, back to King James where there's been this thing that people, they've come back and said, well, NIV and other translations have removed parts of the Bible. Well, in reality, King James added parts of the Bible, because when we see these accuracies in our current languages and our scrolls, they're not part of that. So there was added additions through in the 1611, just so you're understanding the, the tension that's there. That's good. How many people felt like that was semi-helpful? Has anyone ever been like, dude, I have no idea what translation to read? And then you feel like you're getting judgment because someone's like, yeah, that one's from the, like, just the devil. And you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. And yeah, I definitely have been there. So um, I think that's super important. And again, that chart, like you can find that on the YouVersion Bible app. You can also just go online and Google like the translation chart. It's going to pop up in a million different forms. But I remember seeing that um, earlier on. It was so helpful just to kind of get a mental picture of like, where kind of the translations fall. Because again, I think like when you're saying like, I depend on the word of God, like you want to know that the word of God you're depending on is like as accurate as possible. So like um, if you go to look at the message or something, again, it's a beautiful translation and it's really beneficial to your, your reading the Bible. But sometimes you're like, this is so different from like another translation. Why is it like that? And then it causes confusion, almost frustration. So, so real quick, here they got it. Oh, here. they get up. I wanted to point out number three that I really want you to grasp. When you're looking at the history or the Bible that you're going to read, you don't want a Bible that one person has interpreted. You want a Bible that has a committee that has interpreted it. Why? Because multi-brains, multi-theologians multi have come together and put this together and have analyzed it. It's not just one person's opinion, and that's why it's really important. Again, I love the message. I love it as a devotional, but clarifying, it is not a translation. It's a paraphrase, and it's one man, Eugene Peterson, who never wrote it for public consumption. 
You have to understand his motive. His motive was to write it that his grandkids and his children would have a devotional. He was writing it for them, and Herod's become a popular thing, but we just have to be careful not to go put it as God's word. Yeah. I heard, too, that Eugene Peterson wrote it um, for his congregation to try to engage them in the Bible, too. Um, anyway, uh, I'll kind of put a practical spin and tell you how I've landed on what I've landed on. Again, it's opinion, but it's just where I've come to. So early on when I was looking for a translation, I would try to use the ESV because it felt like that was the holy translation that all pastors were using. But then I'd read the New Testament. It felt like I was listening to Yoda because, like, all of them were run on sentences, and they're all backwards. I'm like, I have no idea what Paul is saying. And then someone would preach for him. like, this totally makes sense. But then I'd read it again. I'm like, I hate my life. Like, it just, it did not work out. So what I ended up doing is I finally went to the NIV, which growing up, there was an earlier translation from what I understand of NIV that was kind of like a no-no translation, so I always avoided it. But eventually, I kind of found, like, myself really actually engaging in it well. And if you noticed on that chart, um, NIV is, like, right in the middle of, of the formal and the functional. And so it's it's kind of a best of both worlds, I guess, in my opinion. And so I've kind of made that my foundational like text that I read out of. It's what I'm familiar with. It's what pours into me. And then what I do is I use other types of translations to then complement that. So I'll look at the message because it's not, maybe it's not the most literal, but it's bringing fresh perspective to what I'm reading that's more literal. Or I'll look at NASB because a lot of people say it's word for word and I'll go, what, what's the differences here? And so that's the way I do that. And you can throw up that next slide. A great way if you want to compare translations is on the Version Bible app. You go on the verse, you highlight the verse, and then it pops up and there's that compare button. You hit compare. You can add, like, I think as many as you want translations on there, and you can compare them super fast. So that's in your pocket. So I know those cool Bibles that have, like, five translations, those are great. But again, like, do you want to carry that around everywhere? Like, you have to question that. Like, you could stand on it to read something, I guess, but it's just huge. Um, I'm just t attacking study Bibles. I'm sorry. Anyway, um, it's an opinion. It's an opinion. So, all right, we went way over on that one, but it's fine. Hopefully that's helpful. We're going to just keep on taking um, each question. So second question is, where should a person begin to read? The Bible's massive. Where should they begin to read? I w I'm going to just give a, a caveat. I believe it depends on your personality. It depends on how you read and what you like to read. Uh, there's going to be some that are historians, and so if you're like a historian, you're going to love the Old Testament, jump into the Old Testament. Some of you are going to go, no, what is this? how does this fit my life? Well, you need to start someplace that is going to fit your life, because God's Word has this broad spectrum. But I would say this, overarchingly, uh, every person that, I, you know, that, I'm, that is wanting to get into God's Word, I would always say, read the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John. Number one, the reason is this, because I believe that it's a, such a large spectrum of the, theology, the study of God. You're going to see God in the beginning, God in the middle, and you're going to understand this concept of it. So uh, I don't think, uh, I would say this, we should not be a steady diet of just the Old Testament or the New Testament. We need to be a steady diet of the entirety of the Bible. The full, the full Bible, because there's something for all of us in all of that. Um, what I love about it is, is, so I will say a Gospel of John. I think it's important in Old Testament, and I'll let him talk about Genesis here, Genesis here in just a second. But I can tell you, Psalms is, is prayers. If you're struggling and praying, get in the book of Psalms. It'll teach you how to pray. If you need wisdom, get in the book of Proverbs, because there's purposeful things that are there. Um, you want you want church life? You want to see what real church, messy church was? We often come back and go, well, if we could just go back to the, old, the New Testament church. I want to tell you, the New Testament church was really messy. 
And you want to see the mess and the drama of humanity? Go read the book of Acts. Uh, You want to understand how you do life today as a believer? Read the letters. There's stuff today that is so particular about it. So uh, having a balanced diet of all of it, but if you're just freshly getting into someplace, I would say find, uh, find... Gospel of John. It's very straightforward. It's going to be very clear. Uh, find, find something that you're going to find a translation you're going to enjoy reading, and figure out how do I get in it and read it. That's good. Yeah. No, I think knowing yourself is huge, and I think this would be. It's dependent on your journey with the Bible. Um, I will probably get more into it in a little bit, but for me, like it's been crazy how much I've realized just in the last couple of years as I've gotten more into the Bible and more context to it, how much more it's come alive to me. It's such a journey that it's like I could give you somewhere to start, but like you're still going to have so much confusion. And so just learning to like be patient and find a good spot. Um, in my opinion, I think Genesis is a great spot in the Old Testament begin um, to begin reading. Um, partially because you see so much foundation. Like when I preach specifically too, like I try to go back to Genesis as much as possible because to me it really helps the starting point in my brain of how I understand. You see God's creation and then you see the fall and then you see God start this redemptive story through a man named Abraham that like we're still living out today. And that's how the whole Bible connects. We're going to get into that. From Genesis about Abraham, the Great Commission. Uh, Oh, yeah, I was just, my master's was so cool. And a lot of times, like, when we talk about the mission of God and everything, what do we go to? We go to Matthew 28, where it's like, go into all the world, preach the gospel. It's called the Great Commission. But my teacher was like, that's more like the great uh, great reminder, because actually Abraham was first commissioned, if you read Genesis 12. And so really, that's the beginning point. We always go, oh, where do we have to find our mission? It's in the New Testament. No, like, that was been God's call on his people their entire time on this earth. And so, those are some just ideas ideas. Um, I would add to, I've heard John a lot be my starting point, and that was kind of my answer. More recently, as I've like heard some people kind of go against that, I've also, when you jump into John, it can be somewhat confusing because of the metaphors. So another opinion too, and I think John's great because you're going to hear the I am statements. There's so much in there that he was spot on. But Luke and Acts to me is another one that someone brought to my attention that challenged me because Luke and Acts was actually written by the same person. And so it's the gospel account. And then his second book, I actually, it might be um, skip or debated, but I think that some people think it was like one full book technically. Um, but Luke wrote the book of Luke. He was a doctor, so he's really factual. And then he jumps in the book of Acts, which is the early church. So you kind of get this one fell swoop story. So when you read Genesis and then you read Luke and Acts, what you're doing is you're getting some main parts in this overall story, which we're going to talk about more in our next question. So leading to question number three, what context does someone need to know before reading the Bible? In other words, how does it connect? Um, probably everybody would have a different opinion about this, but if you understand the beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, there is a, there is a thread, and that thread is Jesus. That thread is redemption. Um, and I think that's what's so important for you to understand. Uh, Old, Testament, uh, Old Testament points to Jesus. New Testament points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus, and Jesus was our Redeemer. And that's why it's all about is, is understanding this, this connection. And I think what you have to do when you begin to step into the Bible is that it really is this concept of God encountering people and people encountering God. And it's diversity of personalities. You know, what I love about the Old Testament is you step back and you can find somebody in the Old Testament that you're going to be able to identify with, <laughs> whether it's a male, female, what personality, situations, crisis, and it's always in light of God encountering the person and them encountering God. 
It's all about relationship. It's all about this process of, of discovering. What I love about the Old Testament, the context you have to understand is that the Old Testament was about people encountering God, but it was encountering God from a distance. You know, I mean, it was encountering God through a priest, encountering God through uh, a, a list of laws and rules. When we step into the New Testament, it's encountering God first and foremost. It's encountering God as a relationship. And I think that context is so important because if you begin to read the Old Testament based upon that understanding of relationship, uh, Old Testament, you see a God that is more distant. You see a God that is, is more feared, even though there is a, we need to fear Him in the New Testament, but there is a God that is more feared. There's a God that seems afar off. There's a God that seems not as relational to all, there was relational to some. You step into the New Testament and you see a God who says, no, I want relationship with you. I want you to walk with me. So grasping that whole, uh, that, that concept, I think real quickly what I would like to show you on this next slide is kind of the timeline. And there's a lot of debate. This is one of those things that causes a lot of confusion and a lot of debate. And people are going to automatically, automatically come back and go, well, Pastor Kevin, what about dinosaurs? And what about blah, blah, blah? Uh, some of the, the finest scientists, uh, for, just for us to understand, B.C. means before Christ, okay, or before the common era in the sense of, so before, before uh, A.D., which was Anno Domini, which many Christians have said after the death of Christ. So there's a timeline, there's a time breakage when Jesus was born that it was B.C. and then it became A.D., okay, so you're understanding that? Old Testament, when we step back and we look at the Old Testament, multiple charts on this, multiple opinions on this, and this is one, one that that I present, um, many times people come back and go, how, how is the Bible dated? How do we even know what it looks like? And this is, this is an educated one. This is one multiple people come back to it, uh, that 6,000 years before Christ was the book of Genesis. And you can begin to see there how it all plays in there, that Genesis and Job kind of line up, and then the Exodus Leviticus lines up. So you can see kind of how it plays out in the navigation of the Old Testament. And realizing that we're not, we're, we're not, people get into this whole debate of, uh, of dinosaurs and when was all creation and da-da-da-da. Well, we know as Christians, we recognize this crea creation was Genesis. We recognize that, that timelines based upon facts, based upon uh, people alive in the book of Genesis, because there's historical evidence based on those things, they're able to give timestamps to that. So this is a very educated understanding. Go to the next one. New Testament, then we see the, the A.D., the zero, when Jesus was born, and we're going to see that the New Testament writings uh, uh, is projected that 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, uh, and Revelation was written in the, in the 90 A.D.s. 1 and 2 and 3 John were speculated that he was writing from Ephesus, and we know that Revelation that he was writing from the Isle of Patmos. We can see that that's evident there. Anyway, so we can see this spectrum and understanding, and the predominance of the New Testament was written in 50, 50 A.D. all the way up to, to 70 A.D., right in there. And you're going to see how that timeline plays out. And the New Testament is very much verified. The New Testament is very much factually date, historical, archaeological, seeing the dates and times. So when we can, we can grasp the concept, a lot of the book of, or the, the New Testament, just by the facts that we have, not, not so much faith, but by the reality of the facts that we have. That's good. Uh, for me, I think one of the biggest 
things to understand is that it's a one big massive story. And I know a lot of people, like pastors, said it's God's love letter, it's God's love story. And it's like, you like hear that statement, but once you start to grasp it is when everything starts to become clear. Like to understand that God created the world and creation was perfect. Humanity, humanity went awry and caused these issues and God's redemptive plan ever since then has been tracking. So Abraham and then it was the nation of Israel and then they, they had issues throughout that process and then Jesus came and then the church began and now we're still a part of that story. And so when I began to grasp that is when everything started to connect. It's when it starts making sense. It's actually when you start to see context for why certain behaviors happen. Like a lot of people hear of the God of the Old Testament that would wipe out nations and you, didn't, you won't understand, but once you see the story and you see how he was judging and how he gave opportunity for them to, to turn from their ways, all these different things, like it starts to make more sense. And again, I, it's hard because you hear, I tell you that, you hear that, but once you start to grasp it, you start to see it more. And it's, it's a journey. Like for me, as I'm sitting here writing this week and thinking through the Bible, there's certain parts of the story that are still foggy. Like once you get to like the, the prophecies and stuff, like it gets so intermingled and it's hard, but like if you, the more you clear that story up, the better the content is the better you understand. So next question is, and this is our last kind of like more uh, hermeneutic question, I guess, but uh, what genres in the Bible, what are the genres in the Bible and why does that matter? Why does it matter to know them? Uh, genre is really kind of like the, the style of writing. And I think it's important for us to understand the style of writing when we're reading God's word, because throughout God's word, there's multiple different styles, multiple different uh, genres that are there. And if you want to go to that slide there, uh, this is really important for us to grasp and comprehend that when we look at the breakdown of the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation, you're going to see that there's, there's law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's all about Levitical law. It's all about this concept of how do you live your life as a Jew? How do you live your life to honor God? And then we can go Joshua all the way to Esther, and we see that those are historical, that you're going to see the style of of writing is completely different. They're telling a story. They're telling people's story. They're kind of writing biographies of all these people that were in the past. And then you go to Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and it goes into more poetry, and it's going to be more metaphorical. There's going to be more Sometimes it's confusing, you know, I mean, if, if sometimes you're reading the book of Job and you're like, going, okay, no, I get this, but I don't get this. Anybody, anybody ever read some of the poetry books and you're like going, yeah, I get it, but I don't get it? That, that's kind of all that's there. Uh, then we go to major prophets and minor prophets. And the big thing that we want to, what I want to clarify is major prophets is not because they were more major and more important uh, and minor prophets because they were less important. Major prophets is because of the length of the book versus the shortness of the book. So it's not like going, Isaiah, you're better than Hosea because your book, you know, no, it's, it's because of the length of the book. It's really, is there. And then we can, and we can see the major minor prophets, the gospels, which you're aware of in the New Testament, book of Acts, which is another historical book, uh, Pauline letters, uh, and those are broken down into uh, prison epistles as well as Pauline letters that are there. Uh, Hebrews, which we're not sure who the author was, but it is a letter to Jewish Christians. So when you read the book of Hebrews, it's really, really important for you to understand who it was written to and what, they're, what the author is trying to communicate. Uh, book of Hebrews is a powerful book, but if you miss the context of the book, you're going to miss 
the meaning of the book. You're going to miss the meaning of what's there. And then the letters to the church, uh, letters to the entire church, which are James and first, uh, first is, or Peter and John that are there, and then Revelation, which is a revelation of Jesus and the times to come, a very prophetic book. It's important for us to understand this because uh, if you don't understand the genre, you're not going to understand the text. If you don't understand what's being said, you're going to go, how does this apply? Because I think our biggest problem today, and I'm going to probably repeat myself, our pre- biggest problem today in the hermeneutical procedure in, as Christians is we read a text and we want to skip all the way to number five on that chart to go, how does this apply to my life? Right? We read about verse of Scripture and we go, well, so how does that apply to me? Can I tell you, it'll never apply anything to you unless you understand the context of the verse. It's not, you, if you don't understand the genre, if this is, that it's historical, if you, don't, if you don't know what the author is saying and what the author meant, uh, one of the statements of hermeneutics is that you cannot make God's Word say what the author never intended it to say. And oftentimes we love in American culture to cherry pick and we pull a verse out of Scripture, and we go, but it means this to me. Well, I don't care what it means to you if the author never intended it to mean it to you, okay? And that's where I think that we've got off, off of hermeneutics in this process of, so the genres, understanding it, uh, understanding, uh, it's the same thing in reading a book today. Are you in the fiction? If you go to the library, are you in fiction or nonfiction? <laughs> are you in a biography? Are you in romance? Are you in history? It comes back to, uh, is, it, is it a fantasy novel? You know, that's where you have to come back. That, that's the reality. You don't read prophecy the same way as you're going to read history. You don't read prophecy the same way that you're going to read the Gospels. You're not going to read the letters of Paul the same way that you're going to read the book of Revelation. So you have to step back and go, what genre is this and why? Uh, yeah, adding to that, uh, another couple other things to factor in is understanding narrative and apocalyptic genres too. So like narrative is like stories. So like you're reading First and Second Samuel, like that's pretty much, it's a historical account. It's a narrative. Um, the book of Acts, a lot of people don't look at the book of Acts um, and think that it can inform our theology of the Holy Spirit because it was narrative. It was, it was retelling historical account. So People have argued now that that's actually a way to inform your theology is through understanding the history and stuff like that. But knowing these genres is just so key as you dive in because you're going to be able to interpret it differently. Like if I'm looking at the Old Testament and I'm hearing of like, I don't know, Exodus and seeing the the Israelites delivered, I'm going to have to interpret that differently than Paul's directly telling me something in a letter. And like the context is so different. So I think, I don't know if like this question necessarily like helps you on the journey of understanding this more, but understanding it's important is so key. Um, Because just like you listen to different genres of music, right? You're going into a certain expectations. And so this plays into it as well. So question number five today is why did you pick the Bible you did? Really spiritual. I love real leather. I'm, I'm being honest. I love the smell. I love the feel. I, 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 love, I love real leather, and I love a thin line. So really what it came down to for me was I know what I like, and I know what's going to draw me there just in my humanity, in my flesh, but I know that I also have to pick a translation that is going, that is a good translation that I like. Um, I have gone, I, I, I'm all over the spectrum because I like multi-different translations. So I will, 
have a season of a translation and go to another translation, but I often, but I will always come back to the NIV uh, just because I like the fluidity of how it reads. Um, I will go to the NLT, uh, which is going a little bit more um, uh, the functional side, or yeah, the functional side, not the formal side, because I like how it reads, but I like the accuracy of the, N of the NIV, so that's why I kind of will settle there. I do like the ESV, I've read it, um, but I can tell you this, that, that uh, I, I will, when I'm studying, not just doing devotions, when I'm studying, I always have four or five different translations because I want to see the fullness of Scripture. So I don't necessarily go back to King James, but I'll go to New King James because it's very similar, or go to ESV because it's very similar. I'm going to go to New, New American Standard. Uh, I'm going to, I'll even go um, the, to the Amplify because the Amplify doesn't amplify the text any differently or any more uh, in in. Greek understanding, but it just gives more adjectives, and I'm a word person. So I like words. I like to be able to see that. Uh, I will oftentimes go to the one that, that is in the middle of the diagram just because I want the functionality of it, but I also want the formal, formal, formal aspects of it. And I think it's so important that, we, that you take it seriously, that you've got to find something that's going to fit you. As we come up here and say, NIV, don't adopt NIV because we're saying NIV. Uh, I will tell you this, Go test drive some translations, and a really cheap way to test drive them is download the Bible app because you have at your fingertips over 300 different translations that you can actually read or see and go, I like that one or I don't like that one. Where does it fall on the chart that we gave you? Um, you know, some kind of the good news, good news for modern men is kind of making a way back into the Living Bible, still kind of making a way back into. But I want you to understand, Living Bible is a paraphrase, and so is the good news. So what I want you to grasp is, uh, I don't, I don't, don't dumb down your brain by going, let's go to a paraphrase. Engage your brain by stepping into a translation and go, I, don't, I may not understand it, but God help me to understand it, or you want to seek to understand it, okay? Don't just, don't just take a shortcut. Yeah. Uh, for me, I went through a season where I bought a lot of Bibles, like nonstop, like cheap ones, expensive ones, trying to find. I have an issue. I started giving away because I felt so convicted, but I have a stupid amount of Bibles for my age, so just don't judge me. Um, but the good thing is I figured out what I liked, and now I've settled. So um, I have bought multiple like copies of this exact Bible because I love it so much. And I like, this is my second one and I bought a third one just in case this one breaks. But um, anyway, I have an issue. It's fine. Um, anyway, uh, for me, a lot of things factored in. Uh, ultimately, I love the feel of leather, but also the longevity of it. I've had Bibles that don't last, like this thing lasts a long time. Um, I also wanted large print and not because I'm old and I can't see, not to diss on anybody. I know I'll be there at some point. I don't have readers or anything. I know one day down the line it'll probably happen. Um, but because I like to bolt the text with the pen, and I'm going to show you that in a little bit um, when we jump on to an, another question, but I wanted to be able to uh, interact with a pen on my Bible in a different way, so I chose large print, and I'll show you that guys that later. Um, another factor is I want a slim Bible. I knock on study Bibles, like not because they're not good. I have multiple, but because I want something I can carry with me. And I do literally take my Bible like all the time. Like it's in my backpack. It goes on vacation with me. It's always with me. So slim is huge. Um, ultimately though, I wanted something that I loved and I would use. And that's where I on the first sermon a couple weeks ago. I said, I was like, go buy an expensive Bible that you like that you will use. Because for me, like, if I, if I put, like, little into it, I'm probably going to get little out of it. And so I've invested in that. So question number six, what does reading your Bible look like for you? And before I jump there, I'm going to kind of go back to this one. If, uh, because we do have a lot of Bibles between us, um, 
we do have certain ones that are, wear better than others. So if you're curious about a Bible and you want to know, we can give you some links to those as yeah, well. Yeah, this one has started to trickle out in our church. Multiple people this have bought a, it. This I'll is send a really, it to you on Amazon. I don't even know who made this one. Zondervan uh, yeah. is the publisher. It's premium leather. Yeah. It's like half off on Amazon rather than 150 yeah. It's like 79 So it's a steal of a deal. Anyway, it's a really, and it's thin line, large print, if you're like me, and I need it because I am old and he's not. Uh, what, is Bible, what does reading your Bible look like to you? Um, I would say this. The, now, this is, I'm stepping into opinion. I'm stepping into probably discipleship tactics. But I would say today, uh, it needs to be daily. It needs to be daily. Uh, you, there really is no excuse. We, we have it at our fingertips. You have, it on, you have it there. If you're a follower of Christ and want to live your life to follow Christ, you need to be in God's Word daily. It needs to shape your life. Um, uh, mo- I think what, what I, uh, I do it in the morning, it's my best time. I want I wanted, my conviction, this is for me, my opinion is for Kevin. I'm not trying to cast it on anybody else, but I believe that God deserves my best and my first and my best. So when it comes to tithing, when it comes to my money, comes to my relationship, when it comes to my relationship with him, he deserves my first and my best. So I get up, I get my Bible, I get my, well, I let my dog out first, get my cup of coffee, and I have a coffee in one hand and my Bible in the other hand, and I find a place that I'm going to go sit, and, I'm, and we'll kind of get there in a little bit. But I remove distractions, you know. I, 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 there was a season in my life that I did a lot of it electronically, and I realized that electronically I was distracted because of flags that were coming up notifications that are coming up or I'm going, oh, well, let me, you know, uh, excuse me, God, I just want to go look at Instagram right now, you know, or whatever. And it's like, I was not focused. I was not, I, w- I would, was easily distracted. And I've realized I've got to remove all the distractions. So I remove electronics. I remove all that stuff. And all I have out on my desk or where I'm at is my Bible and my journal, a pen. Uh, my phone will be to a, at, at, within arm's reach if I want to go look up a word or want to go look up something in a different translation. But I remove all of those things because I'm ADD or whatever. I don't know. I don't know how you guys do it, but I'm easily distracted, and I believe that the enemy wants to distract you. So whether you're easily distracted other times of your life, he's going to work overtime to try to distract you. I'm an advocate for paper copies. I believe wholeheartedly in paper copies. Um, I believe that it leaves a legacy for those to follow. They're able to see your Bible. They're able to see your notes. They're able to see all that stuff. Uh, I would say this. I'm not picking on study Bibles. I have study Bibles. But can I tell you, I believe study Bibles are a lazy man's, lazy woman's uh, approach to God's Word. I'm not saying don't have them. But don't let it be your first and primary. Why? Because oftentimes we don't... I believe that when we step in to read the Bible, we need to engage our heart, our head, and our spirits. If we're reading with a study Bible, we're engaging someone else's heart, head, and hopefully trying to get our spirit in connection with theirs. And really what it is is the Word of... It says... The Bible says, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And I think that oftentimes we remove this aspect of being taught by God because we're trying to go off of someone else's understanding. Now, I'm not knocking it. I have study Bibles, and I read study Bibles. But I think what happens is we miss a section in that, and I would come back and go, for studying, you need to have a, a plan. Follow a plan. If you don't have a plan, follow a plan. Um, I love the one-year Bible. Don't do it all the time, but I love a one-year plan. Uh, and I have a one-year Bible that I'll show you here in just a second uh, that I really like because of the margins. Uh, but the word study, I believe that there's power in words. In the beginning, God created. How did He create? He spoke it. 
He spoke it. There's power in words, and we undersell words. We understand knowledge, undersell the knowledge, and uh, sometimes I can be made fun of or harassed because you're going to see in most every one of my sermons a definition of what the word is, and I'm going to tell you why. Because there's lots of definitions out there, and people are going to come to their own conclusion of what that word is. My goal in preaching and bringing the power of a word is to get you immediately on my definition or the Word of God's definition so that I can help transport you, with, transport you with that definition into the meaning of a passage of Scripture. Because God's Word has meaning. It's not just words on a page to go, oh, this is nice. No, there's purpose in it. There's purpose in it. And so that's why words are so important. So real quickly for the slide here, um, read through the Bible in a year, take a deeper dive, go to the next, next one. This is, I, I love this one year, Bible in one year. Uh, it's an NIV, NIV translation. The reason I love it is because it has probably two-inch margins on both sides, and you can make, you can make notes in, on each side of the page. So you can make notes on it. Uh, as I read this, uh, I'm probably getting ahead a little bit to the next one, but as I read it, I always use a different color ink every single year that I read it so that I know I can decipher. I'm not mixing up this year's thoughts with last year's thoughts. Um, so for me, it depends on the season. Uh, for instance, when I began my master's, I was trying to do a multiple book plan, um, and it just became became overwhelming. I'm reading a lot for my master's, and so it was just extra. It felt like more of a chore than I was actually going to spend time with God. So um, finally, I got past the guilt and decided I'm just going to read a chapter a day and deep dive a book. And so for le- like lately, what I've been doing is I've just picked a book. Like I'm in Jeremiah right now. I think I'm on chapter four. Just started this week. I'm reading one chapter a day, and I just spend time in that chapter. Um, I'm going to show um, a, a cool tool of how to get into that a little bit better, for a free resource. But um, I just try to spend time going, what does this mean? Like, what is context? I bought Warren Wearsby's Be Decisive book, which is just a commentary on just that. That book of Jeremiah, I'm going through that kind of. I'm skimming it. I'm not reading it in depth. Anyway, but that's kind of where I do. It's like I'm trying to find something that actually speaking life to me that I'm actually spending time in. I'm not just trying to conquer. And I think sometimes we can be legalistic and just try to conquer. Um, so one great way that I engage in the Bible myself is through a free lexicon that you can find online. So if you're like reading, I'm, I keep using John 3.16 as an example, but it just works. Um, so if you're reading John 3.16, you're like, okay, this word loved, what does this mean? So for God so loved the world. And you're like, what does this mean? You type in John 3.16, lexicon after on Google, and you can get paper lexicons. But you go on there, and the first thing that's going to pop up is like a website, Bible Hub. You click on that, and then you can see I'm clicking on the word, and then it's going to give me the, the original language word. And then you scroll down, and like you have different people speaking about what this word means. And so this is just a great free resource that you have on your phone that like really starts to break down that language barrier between the original text and like our language today. And so that's a great way. I use that a lot in my time, use it in my sermon planning, but that's a great tool there. So next question is, how should I craft my time in the Bible? Um, my very first thing is set aside a regular time, make an appointment. Uh, if you have an appointment with a doctor, you're going to not miss that appointment, I hope. Uh, if you have an appointment with your spouse, you're not going to miss it. 
have an appointment with God. Set aside whatever your best time is going to be and go at this time. Communicate it to your family. Communicate it to your spouse, those around you. This is my time with God. And set aside an amount of time that you're going to be able to navigate. And I, I think sometimes if we, we specify an amount of time and then we get into legalism going, well, I got to be. I don't want to give you a time limit. I want you to be able to encounter God. And that really is what the dev, that's what your time with God is, is to encounter him. And I think that if you, you've got to define what your expectation is, define what your goal is. If your goal is to just conquer reading this book, you can do it anytime and you can check the box. Um, how many of us have ever been guilty of just reading? Probably all of us. What I've had to realize is I've got to come back and go, God, no, I want to encounter you. I want to encounter you. So how do I set aside time to encounter him? Whether that's reading through the Bible, whether that's reading a chapter, whether that's reading five verses, my goal is to encounter God in those verses because it's living and active and it's alive and it can do something in my life if I truly give opportunity to encounter him. Um, I think that it should be fashioned around a New Testament and Old Testament, gathering the understanding of history as well as understanding the current and what, how we're to live out this life. Uh, I would say this a huge thing. Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Don't give yourself so much grace that you don't do it, but give yourself grace. Don't, don't, don't compare yourself to Kevin and Trenton. Don't compare yourself to somebody else that you think is a master at it. Compare yourself to yourself and go, where am I at today versus where was I at six months ago. If you're, you know, if six months ago you were doing 10 minutes, 10 minutes in God's Word, challenge yourself to step into, go, I'm going to go 20 minutes. Don't try to go, I'm going to go five hours and read. Don't, don't try to set an unrealistic goal. Get into encounter God. And I would say this too. I'm a big, big advocate, and I know that people are going to push back. I believe in journals. I believe in journaling. The reason is, is because it tracks tracks your journey. Now, when I'm talking about journal, I'm not saying dear diary. I'm not talking about dear journal. There's going to be a prayer in there once in a while, but I've even really simplified now if you were to see my journal. I just highlight, I take one verse of scripture out of my reading that day, and I write it down. And the reason is, is because it, it's a track record. It's a track record of where I've been. I write maybe what it meant to me. I'm able to go back and look, and, and Trent can go back at my past journals, and he can see, he's going to be able to see, my kids are going to be able to see my journey of faith. And I went through a season where I didn't journal, and not right or wrong, but I can tell you I retain a lot more, and I love the track record of when I do journal. So, again, it's not overthinking a journaling it's just writing thoughts. Yeah, that's good. I agree on those. Um, for me, I designate a time. That's when I wake up is when I'm at my best. Typically, my mind's fresh. I also believe in the principle of tithe. I'm not perfect at this. There's multiple days I miss, but just like you tithe money, I believe you tithe time. And so I believe when you give God first time, I believe he um, expounds and makes the other time way more productive. And I feel like I've seen that in my life. Um, I find a specific place that I like to use. Um, environment is huge for me. I like the vibes. Um, most of you guys know that probably. Um, I love sitting in my backyard, being peaceful. Um, I find a system. And so if you've never used version, there are so many plans on there that you can um, get into. I would encourage you not to just depend on those because um, we can become lazy and just listen to other people's thoughts rather than trying to like engage in the word for ourselves. But that's a great place and just work your process um, ultimately. But question number eight, do I need to mark up my Bible? For me, yes. Uh, I, I'm a huge, I, I know there are some people I've talked to and they look at my Bible and they're going, you've desecrated the Bible. You wrote in it. And uh, I believe that this book is full functional. 
you know, and for me to fully function with it, I'm someone that likes to read. I like to highlight. I like to write in. Um, if you see a anything but a novel, you're going to see all my books have notations in them because I like to notate in them. Um, I, I love the concept of marking my Bible because it does help me record a journey in my life. Uh, I, do, I don't want to say I have a photographic memory, but I, can re I may not remember a chapter and a verse, but I can remember a location on a page. And I can go, I would know I was in 1 Samuel, and da-da-da-da-da. And for me, to have, for me to be able to go back and go, no, I highlighted it, or I circled it, or I wrote there something. Because can I tell you, God's Word is alive and active, and He will bring things back to you in the middle of a circumstance and a trial, right? And, that's, and sometimes we may not know all of it, where you can look up on a concordance to go, I can't remember, but I can remember where it was, and I want to make sure I've marked it so I can go back. And I write little notes there. Um, I have just started, because my mom does this, I've just started dating things. Uh, because uh, I've looked through her Bibles, and I've looked through her stuff, and my grandma did it, and it was on... Uh, this day in 1975 that God da 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 and I'm like going, oh my word, you know, what, what, a, what a legacy, right, where God's word spoke or God did something in a passage of Scripture. Um, Trent will talk about the kind of pens that he got me on, but I think it's important that we, we use it. I, th I think a marked-up Bible, I wrote it down, I think a marked-up Bible leaves a legacy for those to follow and to see. Um, but more importantly than that, I wrote this, more importantly, we need a Bible marked-up life rather than a marked-up Bible. Um, and marking up a Bible helps me mark up my life. Uh, so, but the end goal is not just to have a marked-up Bible and go, look at the marks I got. It's actually to let your life be marked up by the Word of God. That's good. Yeah, I took, will you throw that next photo up? So these are kind of blurry, but uh, on this side is PK's, on this side's mine, so you guys can kind of see how we mark up our Bible. Um, I'm going to turn real quick so I can see. Uh, I have a little bit of a system, I guess, but for me, like, yes, marking up my Bible is important, as you can tell. Um, I got in the habit years back of bolding. It's why, again, I like the big font. So I literally, you're like, that's so time-consuming. Yes, it is, but I'm soaking in the words every time I'm and copying I've over. And i from him. And so it's, I saw it on some Google thing one time. I was like, dude, that makes the Bible look really cool, and I started doing it. I was like, it's really beneficial, too. So um, there's a little bit of like fun. I'm trying to like make my Bible look pretty, I guess. But uh, ultimately, I, I feel like I've created landmarks in my Bible, which is awesome. So I kind of like, I'm super visual. So marking up the Bible for me, I get there's certain people that like, you do not think this way. So it makes sense you don't mark up your Bible. For me, like I can actually remember what a page looks like and where I wrote the note. Like that's just how my brain works. So as we're talking, like I'm like, no, I know it's in here. Even if I don't know what like chapter or book, I can flip through this certain part of my Bible and go, I know it's in here. And so that's just been a huge benefit to me. So ultimately, I think you should find a system for you, whether that's a highlighter or whatever. We use Sharpie pens. We throw that next one up, Jeremiah. Um, they're on Amazon. Yeah, that. Um, and they do not bleed through. Like, you can look at my Bible after service if you don't believe me, but they do not bleed through, and I am literally... He likes black, and I like colors. Yeah, I like... I'm just neutral. I just like as neutral as possible, because then my system is I've started to use red pen on something, like, really profound. So it's like, it stands out just like that. So that's just some weird stuff. Um, ultimately, again, figure out your system. Draw lines next to it. Box stuff. And this may sound so practical, but sometimes, like, these are the type of conversations that actually inspire my Bible reading. Like, I grew up with people that, like, believed in this and that did this in front of me, and that's why I learned to do it. I was like, well, if this works for them, maybe I should try it. And so now I've created what that looks like for me, but that's what we're really trying to do today. So in closing, um, we're going to 
nothing super profound, no altar call, but we just want to, again, extend the invitation and journey for you to get in the Bible, whatever that looks like for you. Um, hopefully today was beneficial in a lot of ways, um, and it's challenged you, but our heart, again, is that, like, I don't know, in, in American culture, it's so obvious that we've created celebrity pastors, that we just take everything that they say and we just listen. And I'm like, I want you to be people that like literally know this for yourself. And um, I feel like we would be failing as pastors if we didn't do a series like this. And this has been something we've talked about for a long time. And so it's been very practical. But at the end of the day, our heart is that you would actually look at the Bible for yourself, not that you just come hear us talk about it. So um, in closing, I want to give you a pastor scripture in Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's final instructions from Moses to the nation of Israel. And I love this passage. I've wanted to preach on it multiple times, never found a spot to put it. Um, But it comes to my mind often. And what it's talking about here is Moses is dialoguing. When you guys enter the land and you get a king, make sure they do these things. And one of the things that God tells the nation of Israel the king needs to do is this. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that, that of the Levitical priests. So in other words, the, the Bible for them. He had to write that down, a copy for himself. Um, Moses said it is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life, all the days of his life. So you're not a master of it. You don't just memorize it and move on. So that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And I just love that. What a requirement God has for those, those who re- represented him. And this is not just for pastors, this is for you. He wants you to get into his word. He wants you to find life. And it goes back to that first statement I made one of the first weeks. When, you, when your life starts falling apart or when you face a horrible situation, how often are you turning to the Bible? Like, I am so guilty of talking someone close to me or processing it or moving into action, but how often do I turn to this and go, God, what does your word say? What do, what do you have for me? I mean, at the core of who Relevant Life Church is, it's people who understood the times and knew what the Lord wanted them to do, and then they responded. And so this is our heartbeat. So PK is going to pray for us. And uh, again, if you have more questions, ask us, because um, we'd love to answer them. We want to invite you to make sure you're here the next few weeks. Uh, we talked last week on how do we know the Bible is true. And the next few weeks that are our sermon topics, if the Bible is true, then... And what we're wanting to do is take you into real life situations, real life scriptures to tell us how we are to live life today based upon the Word of God. And so that's what our hope is and our challenge. The very last one at the end of July is going to be more practical of of kind of not, but kind of how to. I want to give you some steps of how to start somewhere. Um, But I would really encourage you, you know, I had someone ask right beforehand, and I think we'll, we'll probably give it to Julie. If you if you did not get the Bible map on how to do hermeneutics, uh, we'll give that and we can email it to you. Uh, we had some questions about that. And so I just want to make sure uh, whether we go in, Julie, and just pull it off of the Google Drive and put those slides together if someone wants them. Because we need, for you to understand the next sermons, you have to understand that first sermon of how do you do Bible hermeneutics, okay? And um, anyway, I want to pray for you today. God, I thank you today so much for the power of your word. I thank you that you used uh, broken humanity to communicate to broken humanity, but it was the divinity of your spirit that you spoke to them. God, I thank you today that there's a journey that you're taking us all on. And Lord, today I, I come against any voice of condemnation, any voice that says this is too hard. Uh, God, I pray for divine enablement today. God, would you bring holy curiosity uh, a holy desire to know you. God, would you, would you just make us 
pique our interests about your word. Um, God, that we would want to know it, that we'd want to know the God, uh, the God, the, the word of our God that we say that we live for. God, I pray that we would be a church that loves your word, that we would not just be a pa- pastoral staff that presents it, but God, that we as people, a congregation that loves your word and that our lives are shaped by your word. God, we're not just that what we've heard, but what we've read, what we've studied. God, what we've stepped into. God, I pray that you'd bring such a conviction that we would study to show ourselves approved, a workman who rightly handles the word of truth. God, I pray, help us to be men and women, teens and children, God, that love your word, that want to step into the reality of it. And God, I know that it, it, that we would want to encounter the God of it in the name of Jesus. God, today, touch lives, touch hearts, touch, touch people. God, bring them back for the remainder of this series. God, help people to engage. And again, I pray that this would all be profitable to individuals. And we thank you for it today. And everyone said, Amen. We have our prayer team. They're here. If you have a need, would you come let them pray with you? They would love to do so. Remember, there's lots of things coming up. Go sign up for the fun run. Uh, It's right around the corner. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.